are the advocate for your child, but find the people who want to stand beside you and do it alongside you because there are, there's a lot of services there who are wanting to. And I think it's acknowledging it's okay to be like, this is really tiring and asking for help. Hello, you're very welcome to the Parentline podcast. I'm your host, Kerry McLean. I'm a broadcaster, a Parentline ambassador, and I'm a mum of three. And this is the podcast where we talk all things parenting, both the joys and the challenges along the way, wherever you are on your parenting journey. Well, here we are. 2023 and I'm delighted to say that for our first guest this year we have got Rebecca McCulloch back in the studio with us again and if you missed Rebecca's previous podcast with us go and check them out firstly honestly they are superb but let me tell you a wee bit about Rebecca she is the founder of Eden Consultancy NI and her work is based around changing the world really for neurodiverse children by supporting and equipping their key adults with knowledge and strategies is that a fair summation Rebecca <laughs> that's a good summation it always makes me always makes me giggle a little bit I mean I know it is the tagline I came up with but um <laughs> summarizes me very ambitious changing the world you know um and, and I I mean it as well it is something we're really passionate about of changing the world around the child and not forcing the child to change as well and that's that's kind of a big big heart of it but I always do have a little giggle when someone talks about you know Rebecca's aim is to change the world I'm like oh gosh what am I like but no it's it's it is it's true well do you know what if anybody can do it it'll be you definitely <laughs> definitely because so many people reached out to me after your last podcast with us uh, and I'm sure they did as well to you Rebecca mm. you know to say how much they got from listening to you the information uh, the advice you offered and the thing that hit me was the number of parents and carers who've been told their child is neurodivergent and who mm. said to me that they just felt lost as to what the next step was like what yeah. do I do now I've, I've been told this I've got yeah. this on a piece of paper but what happens what next? next yeah and I honestly that is a huge part Carrie of like why I started this of Eden Consultancy because I saw that like I'd hear people's journeys and they'd parents and carers are fighting to get diagnosis to then get help for their children and it's like nearly this whole like you get the email, you get the letter and the post confirmation, you see it on a bit of paper and then it's like, right, all the best. Have fun out there. See you later. And it's not as aggressive as that, but it nearly feels like it. Like parents have said, gosh, it really, it feels like you nearly run into this brick wall and you're like, hello, like what now? Like, what do I do now? This is now the bit that I actually need the help with. And I was talking to a parent actually recently and being like, they were at the very start of their journey. And I said, the worst thing you can do right now is Google. I was like, get away from any search sites and um, any platforms of like looking up what this is because like without any direction, because it's so overwhelming. Like it, it's just so overwhelming. The the need, like the suggestions, the like the descriptions, all of that can be just a bit daunting, I think. But that is, I mean, immediately that is what you're going to do. Yeah. You're going to, if you are lost and you think, where do I go? What do yep. I do next? Your first thing is tippity-tappity on the phone or 100%. on the laptop, you know, yeah. to see what, what I'm going to do next. Yeah. And, and you know, I'd love that to be a smoother process in the future, especially here in Northern Ireland, that it's something you're directed to, to, you know, a, a practice like us that can say, hey, here's, here's how you can help and this is what we can do and these are your next steps. Because... 
And again, it's something I was having a conversation with recently. We even wrote our first like email on our mailing list about this, about it's one step at a time. You know, it's like the start of a new year and you've got all these ambitions ahead. And for some people, that's really exciting. For other people, like I'll admit it, like even for myself, I find it quite daunting and quite. I'm like, oh, a whole year lock. And everyone's like, oh, everything can change. And I'm like, oh, that makes me feel sick. Like that's that's quite anxiety inducing. And I think it's the same in terms of that. It's one step one step at a time, one day at a time. And it's the same with you and your diagnosis journey as a parent or carer. It's trying not to fast forward to like, well, what about in 20 years time? Or what about in 10 years? It's okay, right now, for this week, for this day, what do I do and where do I go? But even that can be a tricky question as well. Now, as anybody with a child knows, you know, whether you're a parent, whether you're a carer, there's no such thing as one method of parenting mm-hmm. that is going to work. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it stands to reason that that's going to be the same whenever you're working with a child uh, with some level of neurodivergency or what, yeah. whatever that neuro- neurodivergency may be. Mm-hmm. I'm sure most parents are looking for those tried and tested answers. Yeah. But I guess it's probably a bit like, a, a, you know, like a buffet. You're going to go in, you're going to have a wee taste of this, have a wee taste yeah. of that, and then kind of pick the bits that actually do work for you and your child. Yeah, that work for you and your child, I think, is really, really key. Like everyone's life setup is different as well. You know, so what might work for one family isn't going to work for another family where you're a parent of five kids um, in comparison to maybe one or where you're in a home where both parents are working or where you're one of your one of yours at home or whatever like every situation is is very unique and very different however there are a few key approaches that we'd be like right okay what next what can you what what can you first start with or let's look at and I think there's a there's a few kind of key things that will always kind of signpost and say these are some of the most important things to kind of look at in terms of autism and the journey with that and I think the first you know and and anyone who knows me they'll be like I know what this girl is about to say because I'm going to talk about visuals and hear me out don't turn the podcast off because I feel like I am a bit of an advocate for visuals and I'm trying to like reignite them in the in the world of parenting and autism because I think what has happened Carrie and I've, I've seen this as a pattern is parents and carers are fighting for this diagnosis they then are like what next and then someone says here have you tried visuals and then that's a whole other world in and of itself and overwhelming and gets daunting and they're like nah I'm out I can't so I, I think the terms of supporting your child with routine and structure through visuals and just communication is really really important but again it's so dependent on every situation because it is such a spectrum of the type of visuals you can use um but again anyone who follows us we'll always talk about getting a whiteboard now next then that's great language for any child at any age and stage but to physically see what you say is so important and the more and more I'm on this journey at the minute Carrie the more I'm seeing like communication is that real foundation that everything else is then poured on top of. So if your child is struggling with communication, whether that's in term of pre-verbal, whether they are verbal, but then struggling with like processing time, all of that within visuals will massively help. Like I honestly mean could change their lives like it will. And we've seen this with a parent recently and I know she'll not mind me sharing because um, she actually shared a video um, for us to share across our social media we hadn't even asked with the journey we'd done with her son who was pre-verbal and no, no um, words and, and using and unlocking and something she said within it she was like 
you've given him a voice. He didn't have a voice before and now he does. And that was like sent to me just on the cusp before Christmas break. So I'm tired anyway. And I just burst into tears and oh. I got it because I was oh. like, oh my goodness, this has worked. Like I, I talk about it working all the time. I say I've seen it in the past, but you see when you see it firsthand and how that changes a family's life, you're like, this is powerful stuff. Like, and that's not me kind of like blow me on trumpet so to speak but it's me saying hey look at how visuals work so I think that would be a really good start that communication that visuals like what's the communication like to support is one of those big things I'd say first step before anything else and whenever you talk about visuals for somebody Mm -hmm. who is entirely new to all of this yeah what do you mean by visuals yeah so Listen, visuals can be a wide variety of things. Like if you think about your own life, we actually all use visuals all the time. So if it, whether that's a to-do list, whether it's a family calendar on your wall, whether it's um, like just general like color visuals on your phone or whatever, we, we, we all do it. We all use them all the time. So visuals is just um, seeing what we think or what we're saying. So for children on the spectrum, it's sometimes you can see it's actual pictures. So like showing actual pictures of where you're going or what you're doing. Or as I said, like on a whiteboard, drawing out now, next, then, you know, now shoes and just a little picture that you're drawing of a shoe and then toothbrush, then coat, whatever that is. Of It's, it's showing something. And there's so much research that backs this up. Like it's not just me deciding on one thing and trying to promote it like it really works because all our brains work differently with visuals um, and with imagery and processing visuals a lot quicker than we do words and especially when our anxiety is heightened that's a whole part of it as well of being able to and especially for individuals on on the spectrum like some research is showing that for some individuals absolutely not all it can take up to 10 seconds to process one piece of information and what we do what we do definitely in Northern Ireland is we love to fill the silence because we love we chat. So instead of saying, like, for example, I'm working with, like, say, Johnny. And I'm like, right, Johnny, it's time to put your shoes on, then brush your teeth. Now it's shoes, next teeth, brush your teeth, then coat on. So like really three clear language. But instead, if I don't do that, I come over and I'm like, right, Johnny, where's your shoes? Where'd you put them the other day? Oh, flip's sake, Johnny, where's this? You know, and we get chatty because Northern Irish, it's a lovely chatty language. And fast, and like, we are fast and talkers. Super fast. Yeah, so we're like, da, 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 da. and like before, like we're on to like three next steps and Johnny's still processing that we're leaving the house. Yeah. You know, so I think it's being really, really clear and concise in that. And visuals not only help your child to process, but it helps you communicate. So slow down your communication. And if you can work in threes, that's a, it's a great way to think about it now, next then and that even in the way you're communicating with your child so if your child's super verbal but quite anxious it's really good of being like I can see that I can see that you really want to get that piece of homework done but now we're going to focus on this next and then and it's really calm and concise and you should honestly be using it to the point it's in your everyday like I think I said this maybe at the last one, but my friends, honestly, like in my social life, they just take the the mick out of me now because (laughs) I use it so much. They're like, Rebecca, we can do things not in threes. But, you know, even (laughs) at my, it was quite funny. I'll share a personal story, but I turned um, the big 3-0 at the end of last year. That's not um, so big. Trust me, from somebody who's a lot further on, that ain't so big. For me, big milestone, (laughs) for me. And then, um, but we had a big, we had a big celebration. It was really, really fun. But my friend got up to like, there were a few people like, 
like wanted to like share some things, whatever. And my first friend got up and said, we wouldn't be able to start the evening unless we did it Rebecca style. So I'm going to explain to you what's happening tonight. Now we're going to have some speeches <laughs> next is dinner and then we'll drink. And I was, and everyone was like, <laughs> like, but I, I nearly was like, I'm glad that that, that shows that I do my job well, because I have been talking about this for ever now in my life. Like, I, you know, we've been in this world for over a decade now. I've been able to be like, I have just, this is like, this is part of who I am, is talking like now, next, then. And that actually should be the way that we start to look at it for our children. And it's, I think for parents and carers, we have to realise it's not only we're trying to change and help situations for our child, but you're having to learn a new habit. Like we're having to relearn something. So if you're quite chatty, like, I mean, I am, so I had to really relearn this. I had to be like, hold your horses, breathe, take a minute. Like I sometimes just had to be like, count to four, like, and just give that before I gave another instruction or before I repeated the same instruction. So that now next then, especially drawing stuff out, it helps slow down our communication to increase their understanding. It helps them see what we say. Um, and it also gives an actual permanent visual of lasting of something we say. So we're not getting irritated and it's got no tone or anything like that. So it would always be the first point that I'm like, you, you know, try try and get that in, you know, in your morning routine before school. It's a nice way to kind of start because, yeah, all the different strategies and helpful approaches can be quite overwhelming. So first, first starting point, that's what I always kind of recommend. That must be so nice to have as a parent, to have that tool, that ability to communicate in your mm. back pocket that maybe you haven't had yeah. up to this point, you know, yeah. because I think for most of us, for most of us as parents or carers, the big thing that we want in life is for our children to be happy and healthy. And I know that yeah. my own kids get sick of me saying, you know, are you OK? Are you happy? Are you all yeah. right? And they kind of roll their eyes at me a lot. They roll their <laughs> eyes at me a lot. But, you know, I can't stop myself from asking. I, I feel the need to ask yeah. all the time. But I pick a lot up from how they answer, possibly even more than, yeah. than what they say sometimes. So that must be hard if those maybe cues aren't as obvious mm. for parents. Yeah, 100%. I think that's, that's a really good point. Actually, like we do, we rely on a lot of maybe even like non like communicative like so social cues that we get which are actually maybe sad. like you, you will know your child so well that you know the way that they walk through the door how their day's been but if you're not getting anything from your child in terms of like where they're at how they are and then what you see is maybe just a meltdown and you're like what has gone on and what has happened here you know even simple ways for communication and I think I think it's it can be so frustrating in, in terms for children as well, not being able to express like what they want and what they need. But I think even off the back of that, a really good thing to, the kind of second thing I'd say to look into is like, are there sensory needs being met? And it's something more and more I'm aware of in all of us that, you know, we all have to meet our sensory needs in moments. But for children on the spectrum, this is amplified. So if they've come in from a really crazy long day at school, they are going to need their sensory needs met, it, it, whether that's like a deflation like time, like a uh, like breathe, you know, and not being able to like not just rushing into the next things or being like, how are you? What's happening? But be having that like inner routine and schedule when they come in. And we used in one of our videos on social media recently, the kind of analogy of like a balloon um, and how you kind of do that so all day. If you imagine 
they're like a little balloon being blown up constantly, constantly, constantly. And if air is never let out of that balloon throughout the day, if they get home, it either one or two things happen. If you let, if you just all of a sudden let that go, that balloon is going to go flying around that room and you've no idea where it's going to land or what's going to happen or it pops like it pops from the pressure. So then you get that big meltdown, the maybe aggression that comes out as well. In what we want to do then, if you imagine if you're holding a balloon and you slowly let some air out, little, like in a quite controlled way, little by little in those moments, if you imagine that for your child, that's like coming in and either letting them have some downtime, some quiet time in their room. That might be what some children need like under the weighted blanket or anything. But for other children, it might be they need to get out in that trampoline. They need to get straight on their bike and let out some energy because they've been sitting at a desk all day. You know, so it's, again, it's a whole thing knowing your child, like what their needs are. So if it's hypersensitive, you know, knowing that they've experienced a lot. So they probably need to like cocoon a little bit, regulate, have some silence in whatever way that looks like for them. Even time and time and devices or reading or something like that something that one track kind of mind situation like mindfulness really in those moments and then for some children who are like hypo sensitive so senses are dulled and they constantly need like a kind of reawakening if they've been sat in one position all day they're going to be agitated so actually making sure they're getting movement they're getting out they're getting some form of like heavy work that their body is like oh thank goodness like I'm moving this is great which then should help with that four o'clock explosion which I think we spoke about in one of our yeah, podcasts before yeah. again it just goes to echo the fact that what you've said to me before and what you know from what the feedback has been from mm-hmm. our last couple of chats together is that the parents who are working with kids who are neurodivergent they really they have so much on their shoulders because they, like you say, are the one so and only much. expert in their yeah. own individual child. Not only are they trying to help their child, communicate with their child, do everything that they possibly can, but then they are also the warrior, you know, the person who's in there fighting to get them help, fighting their corner. You know, yeah. I heard some stories about, you know, waiting lists of fighting for support. Yeah. And my heart just went out to them entirely oh, yeah. because that must be it must just be exhausting to be, yeah. you know, people talk about fight or flight yep. and they're just in fight mode constantly. A lot of yeah. these parents. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly it. It's that fight mode. And we have to, we have to acknowledge how challenging this is. Like we, uh, we ran a course with Parentline and I, if, if some of you were on it, that first one was about um, the diagnosis journey. And in that we weren't talking about how to get a diagnosis. What, what we went for was the emotional rate, the grief and diagnosis, the the emotional toil that all of that takes over a long period of time. Uh, and we had the most phenomenal feedback and 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 um really eye-open conversations, really heartfelt. It was actually in full honesty, I came off the call, the training, and I had a wee cry because I just felt that. Like, you know, I was like, this is so much for these parents to hold, you know, and actually I felt I felt honored that they were willing to share some of that pain of saying yeah I didn't think this was what my life was going to be like and having that free space of being like yeah that's okay like we're you're allowed to feel that and it's we talked about the cycle of it like it's not just a one stage that's it it's it's nearly at different stages too you're like I thought things were going to be a wee bit different and that's a lot to hold emotionally and then pile on top of that you don't really get 
processing time yourself with it all so you just have to keep kind of fighting and then you're like trying to talk to the school and being like what do I best do how do we best help and then before you know it you're like oh my gosh secondary school how are they going to cope in secondary school what secondary school is best for them and then fast forward again you're like exams future and it's just this kind of like constant fight I think is is right and it's um it's an exhausting position to be in to the point that I remember with one of my my parents that I worked with in England, I remember we were in a meeting, one of the older girls I worked with, and um, I, I had to stop the meeting because the parent was getting quite agitated and um, quite quite challenging in that situation. You know, I was like, oh, I'm a human too. Like, don't forget it. But I just stopped it and I was like, I don't I don't think you're listening to what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying we're doing this stuff and we're, 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 we want to help. And it was this beautiful moment of, of our relationship actually um, as a parent teacher and she just stopped and said Rebecca I don't I actually have fought for so long I don't know how to stop fighting so you're telling me yeah we're doing that here's how she's thriving this is what we're doing and she goes I can't even hear that anymore because I've spent 16 years being like it's not good enough not good enough we need more we need more and that's always stuck with me because I was like it was that I don't know how to do anything apart from fight and I was like that's yeah that that makes sense gosh I'm quite emotional just hearing that because that's yeah. just you know parent yeah. as a tiger you know coming into fight is. for their kids yeah and yet that's what I saw in that moment was a an exhausted parent day you know you know we had that moment of being like let us take this weight for you you don't need to carry it by yourself you are the advocate for your child but but find the people who want to stand beside you and do it alongside you because there are, there's a lot of services there who are wanting to and, and teachers in schools who are really, really, really good at it as well. But it's, I think it's acknowledging it's okay to be like, this is really tiring and yeah. asking for help. Like that is the most beautiful thing you can do for yourself and your child. And that's why parent line are great. You know, just picking up the phone and talking. Like sometimes I'm finding that's all what parent and carers need. They just want someone to talk to and say, this has been, it's been a rough day. And for yeah. someone just to go, yeah, like they don't, not even to have the answer, but just to say, yeah, that sounds a lot right now. There's a listening ear is an incredible thing. And you Isn't mentioned it? there about, you know, that that group that you had run with parent mm-hmm. line before to mm-hmm. actually have other parents in the room who can go, I know exactly uh, where you are. That it's, just must be such an incredible moment where you feel like you know, somebody, they're not, they're not just listening, they get it 100%, 110%. Oh, uh, it is my favourite thing to say in training. It's the thing I sometimes think I, I feel deeply privileged to witness is a group. And especially if I'm doing like a consistent work with a group and find out they will have like a wee WhatsApp group, you know, and they've all become like friends. And I think we had it in one of our, um, one of the comments actually from the, from those training sessions we did um, with Parentline. And they said, this has just made me feel less alone. And that was the comment that got me the most, like, not being like thank you for your expertise all of that stuff I you know I appreciate that as well I do but that comment I was like that's job done like that's if that's all that we can do that's beautiful because there are others on the journey like you and that's what you were saying Carrie even at the start of people contacting you saying gosh those podcasts and I have the same and and people saying it was like you were describing me it was like you were describing my child and I was like so interesting you know I have what 20 30 parents saying all of that and I'm like you're not it, it is lonely but you're not alone and finding those right groups and connections like you have to pour into that because you know 
you'll laugh and you'll cry together about it because it's a whole cycle of emotions and important to have people with you in that. 100%. We'll be back in just a minute after this short message from the ParentLine team. ParentLine NI is a free confidential service offering advice, support and guidance on any parenting matter. If you would like some support with any of the issues raised in today's podcast or any other parenting issue, please call the ParentLine team today on free phone 0808 8020 400 or check out our Facebook page for more information. Now, on with the show. One of the other things I got from uh, some of the communication we got off the back of the last couple of podcasts was I spoke to a couple of mums who, when their child received their diagnosis, they started to look at their own lives and they started to look at their own experiences and they thought, hmm. And they discovered from their child getting their diagnosis that they themselves had ADHD or autism. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about people who were well up in their 40s and that just blew my head away. Have you encountered that before? Yeah, quite a lot, actually. And it is, it's a a really common theme, actually. Um, There's a few reasons for it. First of all, listen, autism it is not as black and white of me saying this is what causes people like to use that word cause which is not the right word either but why why is my son why is my daughter you know and and I think a lot of families get really caught up and where's this come from you know yeah. and, and sometimes it's just it happens autism is something called a heterogeneous condition which means it's multiple factors so you can't say x causes y so it's not like it's not an extra chromosome. It's not different in this. It's it's not as obvious. So we can't 100% say exactly what it is. However, a huge part of that is genetics. Like, And more and more as we are learning more and more about autism as researchers, we're, that's what we're seeing. There's huge percentage that if you have a child with autism, that there will be autism somewhere in the family. Now, that might not be directly parents. It could be uncles, aunties grandparents but it's often somewhere so with that that's often where the journey comes that you're maybe you know looking at the stuff for your child and looking at different things and I've had families who've been like so my child got diagnosed last year and also my husband and you're like okay like it's and actually them saying how how freeing that's been how you know interesting it's been for them like for them as a couple and and different things of of understanding each other better but as you said these are often in the age group of like 40s 50s so then comes a question why on earth is it only now like what's happening and that comes with the whole the realization that we've come a long way with understanding autism you know 2023 now but you know in comparison to even in the 90s like say like when you know growing up even around like my kind of age group it it wasn't talked about as much we didn't know as much Asperger's became something that was really spoken about and became very popularized it's now taken out it can't get a diagnosis of it it's just under the umbrella term of autism since 2013 but it it's it wasn't it wasn't spoken about wasn't even an option in that same way so that's why we're near that's why there's so many who've been missed because it wasn't and and a really big pattern we're seeing is actually women realising because now we're understanding girls and autism more. There's more conversations about that. And then mothers being like, hold up a second. This is me. Saying that, you also have to give the other side of the conversation. And I always say this in training. Um, when you're in, in a bubble of a world 
and you're listening like for example this podcast you're listening about one topic you can go away like I was even in a school delivering training and I was like what I need you to do is not all self-diagnose yourself because all you've heard me talk about is autism because we can all have characteristics of but not be like yeah. we're not all on the spectrum it's not that's not a little bit in the spectrum that's not a thing so we can have characteristics of but not be so it doesn't 100% mean that if you have a child with autism you're also autistic absolutely not unfortunately not as simple or black and white as that but it is something that we're seeing more and more and again language we talked about last time it's always good to notice and wonder I notice actually that's something I really struggle I just wonder if that is also I'm just gonna just gonna note that and see if there's anything else rather than like jumping on diagnosis like diagnosis immediately I think See, there's the Google thing again. Stay away from Google because you can see a lot of people going and going through you going, yeah, tick, tick, tick. That's me. Yeah. Like you can't like, you know, that's kind of becoming one of my absolute pet peeves at the moment. You know, people talk about ADHD or autism and I'm like, oh, we got a diagnosis. And they're like, oh, self-diagnosed. And I'm like, what? Through TikTok. (laughs) Like, you know, it's because if you listen to something enough, you know, you can be like, oh, that is me, you know, because we can all understand because it's all about a different like neuropathways in the brain. And actually for some of us, those neuropathways are, are diff- you know, formed slightly differently anyway. And in terms of sensory and experiencing the world and being aware of that, like some of us might have a, have be more kind of sensory aware in situations than others. And it's just not to immediately jump into it. But I think it's also important to have that other conversation. Like we, we just did carry of saying, yeah, like it's something worth thinking about or just wondering and I do I get a lot of families being like oh my gosh I see it I see it in my brother actually and it's never been talked about so yeah something to kind of put on the shelf to think about yeah see yeah you talk about you know somebody might say oh I've seen that in my brother and my Mm. uncle we've never talked about that because I think in the past there has been a real attitude in certain in certain families and certain times and certain communities where it's like, don't talk about it. If you don't talk about it, you don't recognize it. It's not there. And one parent that got in touch with me Mm -hmm. uh, told me that their child got their diagnosis almost 20 years ago. Mm. And the big, the biggest fight he told me that he had at the start was he and his wife disagreed whether they should tell their child their diagnosis. Oof. Which yes. I it didn't yes, 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 even yes. occur to me. That didn't, yeah. oh, you know, I didn't even know that that would be a conversation. And then once mm. he told me, I thought, well, I can, yeah. I can, yeah, I can Carrie, see. It's a, it's, it's a huge one. Actually, I'd maybe put it in my top 10 questions I get. Really? Should I tell my Gosh. child? Yeah. I'd, n- I'd never thought about that as a question before. Yeah, it's, oh, here. It's a complex one. Again, you know, wish I had a right or wrong. Listen, I'm I'm really passionate that yeah, we do. We do tell our children because if we hide it, it becomes something that we are like silently saying to them, you should be ashamed of this. Whereas if we just it's just part of our conversation, we have it really positively you know, it's part of um, a child can become really like positively strong in their identity um, as themselves. And then with the diagnosis, you know, and with that journey or what it is, but we still, we have to be so careful in how we do it. So I always recommend it's a kind of conversation you have about how you're all different in your family. Like every single person is like, I'm, I'm one of five in my family with of siblings. And 
like we could not all be more different. You know, we all look very similar. Genes are strong in that way. But, you know, we're, our personalities, the way we respond to situations is very different. And as a good conversation starter, how our brains are all different. And actually within your brain, you know, whenever, you know, and I would always start with a positive. So you know the way that you really love doing X, Y, Z. Or you can really remember things that mum can never remember. Like, I think it's amazing you can remember that. And, and then, you know, the way that whenever like things are, you know, you don't like your food touching and you're, you're really particular about the pajamas, you know, the pajamas you like wearing. And that's all linked with something called autism. And then having those conversations, there's, there's so many positive things out there now around it. A good way is to kind of look at like some positive people kind of in the media that you can kind of link to there's really good tv shows i think we mentioned this before like sesame street is a really good character now for younger children called julia so you just type it into youtube julia sesame street you'll get her and um the way they display that character as having autism is, is beautiful it's really it's really well done and also like um bit more closer to home like um pablo's Pablo on yeah. Babies, yeah. yeah so good it's it's actually phenomenal it's one of those things i watched and i went ah wish i thought of that you know it's a great <laughs> it's a great idea and because it journeys it really honestly and in a way that all children can really understand of different like aspects of autism so i would always recommend sharing with your child i would do a practice run first you know what are you going to say plan it out you don't have to tell them everything like it depends like age dependent you know i've had conversations with children at different stages of their journey of then with some of my older ones like say 17 year olds i've worked with have been like okay i they're like how do i have the same diagnosis of as so and so and you know they're talking about a non-verbal child and my kids sitting in those GCSEs or whatever and I'm like okay so let me introduce you to the spectrum and this is what autism is and talking about that and being like you don't really have any challenges within the terms of like for like um executive functioning in terms of like understanding and cognitive really where we expect to be at your communication levels are amazing as it puts you knew the way that actually some of your struggles in and around social like interaction he's like oh i don't understand people and i was like yeah that's just something you find a wee bit trickier and need a wee bit of help with that's fine so that's the colour that's shaded in for you and your colour wheel of the spectrum. Um, so different conversations we had at different times. And again, like reach out and ask for help with that. It can be a daunting thing to be like, how do I talk to my kid? But I will say, if you normalise it, if you don't hide it, if you just have it as part of your conversation and are like being really positive about it, your child will be, because that's how children learn. Children learn through what they hear and what they see adults model so if we are shying away like I remember a little boy I had and he was so proud of like himself and who he was and his parents had worked really really hard at doing this obviously from a young age they'd never hidden it from him and he would nearly introduce himself like again let's call him Johnny and be like hi my name's Johnny I'm autistic and that means and he's like I can list you 17 facts right now about space and like would start listing some of them and he'd be like but it also means I really don't like loud noises and if you're going to change something I need you to tell me like that would be the way he like introduced himself but he would then talk about how he loved the wind and all of this stuff like because it was nearly like this thing he'd learned of like this is I love who I am like this is great so I think you can see can't you like when you even speak that out if we hide it it becomes something that we then tell like we then subconsciously say you should you should be ashamed of this and it'll be different I know it'll be different for different families but I, I think honestly like what I've seen is it's it's better to 
start early on and say and have those conversations and and help build it positively and not anything to be ashamed of and I guess it's everything like you say everything is different for every different family for sure and a parent or a carer's approach is going to be different in every family mm-hmm. because types of parenting differ yeah. from, you know, even in a Absolutely. household, you could have two parents who are completely different in mm. their in their mm-hmm. approach. And that must at times cause some some struggles, some struggles, you know, yeah. both for the parents and and, you know, if we're going to put our cards on the table, you know, none of us are perfect. We're all learning at this parenting malarkey as we 100%. go along. It must must be hard for you to work with the, the parents at times. Yeah, especially when in a household with two parents, getting them to, I guess, singing from the same hymn sheet can be quite tricky at times, often because of different opinions beliefs and actually if we're really honest different stages of the acceptance journey that's what I really see and I'll name it as I see it it's often dads take it a wee bit longer that's what we see it's what research shows us I think you can link that all to it's not an accusation against fathers at all but I think it's a probably you know linking it all to mental health appropriateness and and men being able to feel like they can talk about feelings and concern I think it's really deeply ingrained you know especially with that generation you know you just have to get on with it and and it's not all it's not everybody you know but it is it's a different sometimes different stages of the acceptance journey can be really challenging to step into like in my position and I'm ready to go and maybe mum's ready to go or dad or, or or if it's um like same-sex partners even within that it's the same like I see it it's just different journeys of acceptance sometimes dependent on where they're at themselves as an individual and that's okay and it's just coming in and actually meeting it and I think again it's a really big thing that I can do I feel really privileged to step into a situation and be like hey I'm noticing that you're finding this a wee bit tricky like I just let's talk about that you know and and I have no upset of someone being like well I just don't believe that this is a thing and I'm like okay like let's have that conversation that's okay and let's have the conversation of why we're finding this difficult and 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 it's a it's a privilege to step into those situations but it's a really hard thing, Carrie, for for parents as well. You know, say even you're a single parent, but your sister's helping you out a lot, or your mum is helping you out a lot, and and if they are not on the same page, like I, I, that's actually another thing that really chokes me up if I'm doing training, and like a grandparent comes into the session as well, and like I remember doing training once and first week you know there was quite a lot of people second week there were more and I remember we being like oh there's a few new faces here like let's introduce and they were like oh this is my sister and my mom I made them come because like we're on this journey together so they need to know it too and I thought fantastic see that whole same approach for a child and for any child that's consistency mm-hmm. right but for a child on the spectrum Oh, that's priceless that everyone's on that same page of okay we're all going to use visuals so we're if you're at nanny's house or if you're at dad's or if you're at mum's, whatever this is the approach that we take rather than they're just you know maybe someone being like oh they're just being badly behaved they just need a bit of discipline though we can through that on the other side it was something we did talk on one of these parent line uh, courses actually of like generational differences as well and the phrases that you might also get is oh, will they behave fine for me which can be really really tricky to deal with um, and reality is that's the nature of parenting too of children of they will absolutely test the boundaries oh, with yes. the person they feel closest <laughs> and safest with 
it's the same. I, I, I behave differently around my mom and dad than I will with other people as well and push it a wee bit, you know, when you see that. It's amazing as well, I think, for most parents, whenever they see how angelic your kids are around their grandparents, right. you're like, well, where, where's that person yeah. when Who's I go back child? home? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think it's trying to not gain a fence at that but um knowing and having like a wee comment I always say to come back with like to keep yourself safe to be like yeah I can see that but we also have a lot of things in place where we're really challenging them constantly and we've got um things in place to really keep their boundaries you know just a little phrase that you're like right okay you know because it's an emotional response often is what we do because we respond from a place of hurt understandably but having that same approach is beautiful and these podcasts are a great way actually I've had parents be like oh I me, I sent it around our whole family and was like you have to listen to it and we'll discuss it at the next family gathering and I'm like flip I causing dramas in families <laughs> but actually I think it's just getting everybody on the same page because what happens Carrie, is everyone has has some form of stereotype in their head about what autism is and if that child they're like well are we Johnny doesn't doesn't look like what I think autism looks like in my head sure he can speak fine and you're like, eh, that's not really what autism is. So I think it's having a few wee things that you're like, we'll go and check this out and listen and, and let's have a conversation about it as well. But yeah, consistency really is key for sure. And if you're lucky enough to have a large family like that and have mm-hmm. lots of key adults mm-hmm. in a child's life, I guess just as you were saying, it's important to talk to the child you know, in mm. a positive way about the diagnosis. Yeah, I guess absolutely. it's the same with adults. Without skipping over challenges that are are associated with it but to have that that positivity you know Mm -hmm. must be must be so fantastic for the parents to feel like they have that that basis to work from that that one core start starting point and that's that's why support's so important right like yeah if it is if you are you know blessed enough to have that in your family great but I've also seen family become, you know, friends become family, you know, for some people and that's their friendship group or that's their community group, whatever that looks like, you know. And and yeah, and yet it's really important what you said in terms of like, and that I think it all stems from you, though, if you're comfortable with your child's diagnosis. And I think that's a really good question to throw out there. Like, are you comfortable with your child's diagnosis? And it's OK if in that moment out loud right now you said no. I'm not that's okay because it's a journey in this and and that's maybe something that you have to look at and even taking time to write out what I thought it would be like and what it is like you know even just journeying through some of those emotions and in in the first session we did with Parentline I got everyone to draw um like it was like a metaphorical check-in so get people to draw a landscape of what you see your diagnosis journey for your child the journey you feel you've been on to look like And we had people coming back with, you know, storms, volcanoes, you know, sandstorms and also like roller coasters. Like you feel like you've just finished and you're like, oh, yeah, I got it now. And then they hit puberty and you're like, oh, no, like you're climbing up again. again. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So I think I think that's part of it, isn't it? Is seeing where you're at with it yourself and then being like, okay, because if you're speaking really positively about it, and having that internal monologue, then that that seeps out to everybody around you. So it's not the approach that you're going and you're like, you know, saying something like, oh, sorry, um, John, Johnny has autism, sorry. 
Like you're not apologizing for your child. You're like, oh yeah, um, Johnny does really struggle with his food mixing. Um, sometimes he, he's autistic and just he, he finds that really tricky. So actually you see that visual there in front of him. If you just give that to him, he'll really benefit from that. You know, or just using it and you don't have to always explain it. It's, it's, it's You don't have to always name it in those moments. But if you feel like you need to, like that's okay. But there's also times of just loving your child for who they are, you know, and and I think that's a that's a big thing we said in that training. It's a big thing even when we're talking about diagnosis is important. It will not change your child. So the crux of who they are, of who you've... So say your child's got diagnosed at like 7, 12, whatever age. Um, it hasn't changed that kid. Like that bit of paper. So we... Johnny. <laughs> let's go back to him. You get a diagnosis for him when he's 7. That boy you've known and loved for seven years is the same same kid. That's not changed him. What it does change is you can start looking at things that he can get to help him in different settings like school and education and exams and future. You're you're investing in his future in those moments, but it doesn't change. He 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 will be the same boy he was the day yesterday than he is today when he's got the diagnosis. So it can feel, I think it's in those moments being that and being like, this isn't doesn't change who he is this just maybe explains a bit of why we see some things we do but it's a it's a journey I get that it is and listen thank you so much because every time that you come to have a chat with us on this podcast I learn so much about that journey (laughs) you know and and hearing from all the parents thank you so much by the way all Mm. the parents all the carers who did take the time to get in touch because it was it was fantastic to hear from you and I really appreciate it it. everybody who was sharing their story with me you know Mm. it was fantastic yeah Rebecca, thank you so much. As You're always, so delight to have you from uh, Eden Consultancy NI. Absolute joy. And listen, take care of yourself. Thank, and thank you. you so much. Cheers. Thanks, Carrie. Speak soon. Thanks for listening to the Parentline podcast. If you'd like access to the next episode as soon as it goes live, just click follow wherever you get your podcasts. At Parentline, we love supporting as many parents and carers as possible. So if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love you to consider sharing it with a friend, colleague or family member. Don't forget, if you would like support or guidance with any parenting issue, we're here for you on 0808 8020 400. Catch you on the next one.